Hello, and welcome to Fintech Serves Podcast, creating a wealth of opportunities through fintech innovations in the Middle East for the Middle East. Powered by Fintech Search, the region's leading fintech festival, hosted by the BioWorld Trade Center alongside Jitex Global. We're excited to be joined today by Matthias Hovarth, CPO at Vipasso. Uh, thanks for joining us, Matthias. Yeah, well, thanks, Stephen, uh, for the invitation and giving me the opportunity today uh, to discuss together a bit more um, our insights on the fintech side and the payments area. Great. And um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Vipasso, um, it's actually a startup from Vienna, Austria, dedicated to globally scaling Horizon, which is an end-to-end complete mobile payment solution. With over 10 years of experience with international banks and payment vendors, Matthias was actually the lead project owner responsible for rolling out Apple Pay in Austria. And now he has a site set on making Horizon the number one payment solution in the world. And so Matthias, you know, thank you for joining us. And one of the things that we always start off these episodes with is, you know, just kind of, could you tell us a little bit about what FinTech means to you? Well, really, really good question. And and, and from my side, uh, how I always would define FinTech is not uh, this typical uh, definition of a FinTech needs to be a start in the banking and payments area. I really believe uh, to be a FinTech, it does not really matter if you're a startup or a well-established enterprise. It's about how you try to innovate to make payments and banking uh, more affordable, more convenient, and at the end of the day, accessible uh, to everyone. So basically, when I mean accessible to everyone, I really mean on a, on a global scale um, that we uh, focus as a FinTech basically uh, to support everyone globally. And yeah, said this actually, how I would categorize um, this uh, so-called FinTech term, uh, which yeah, as, as we all know, stands for financial technology, basically, I would just define it at four different key areas, which I would highlight uh, uh, as, as really the most uh, interesting areas nowadays for the FinTech area, which we can say on one hand, we have the digital landing site, of course, we have the payments area, uh, which uh, is a quite huge one globally. Uh, then blockchain, and with blockchain, basically, I would uh, not just consider uh, the blockchain technology, but everything around. So all the use cases, including uh, cryptos, including CBDCs, um, including everything around. So even um, insurtech, etc. Um, and also then, uh, as a fourth pillar, uh, digital wealth management. Uh, where there is a lot coming up nowadays on the fintech side, uh, a lot of fintechs providing solutions uh, to support us all together um, with our wealth management, actually. And well, so why are those four uh, so interesting nowadays, maybe? Um, it's just also that this is about the rapid pace of growth, I think, especially if you look at crypto uh, nowadays, how fast-paced, um, especially this particular um pillar is so and also if you think about uh, fintechs is a lot of technology uh, disruption so meaning here as said on the blockchain side uh, but also on the regulatory challenging uh, side there is a lot going on i think uh, where you can consider yourself to be a part of the fintech area Um, and uh, just to ramp it up again from my side 
for me, again, it's really like not about uh, being a startup, being uh, an enterprise uh, around the, the financial area. It's really about how you innovate to provide uh, convenient uh, solutions uh, to the customer. Because for me personally, it's all about the customer uh, and provide proper solutions to them. Great, great. And I think that you touched on, on a really important point is that fintech is is not just for the fintech industry, right? It's not just for, you know, the major institutions, the big players, the banks, the insurance companies, the wealth management companies, but actually fintech is designed to, you know, help the customer have more access to financial technology to for financial convenience. Um, it, it's really um, everything, like you said, from from payment solutions where now we can, you know, tap on the phone and that's automatically a, a payment situation. And, um, you know, I think the Apostle is really making that, you know, very accessible for a lot of people. And I know that you guys are doing great things all across the world to make, uh, you know, payments more accessible to more merchants and to more customers. And, and now, you know, Introducing blockchain, introducing uh, wealth tech, which is, as you mentioned, management of wealth, where you know now we have you know technology that's helping us make better decisions with our money. You know, with everything that you just mentioned, fintech is very near and dear to everybody, whether we know it or not. Fully agree, and I, I just remember, and then you gave me just. Uh, now, just an, an idea again. I remember a really nice blog of Chris Skinner. I just recently read, and it was really about. And uh, it's really not, you know, about fintech versus banks or or CBDC versus crypto or whatever you can say. It's really the key will be always choice, you know. Uh, and and here it's uh, as I said, it's always to be focused on what is the need of the customer, what is the need of us of the consumers. Um, and as you said, there is a lot going on on the fintech side, uh, and it's closer to, to every one of us uh, than we maybe uh, thought before. Correct. And I guess it basically comes down to it is for the customer, and the customer may be the consumers, which is just your everyday person. It may be a business merchant that just wants to somehow make it accessible for their customers to pay them. Um, either way, you know, if, if it doesn't work for the customer, then it doesn't work. And and that's really, you know, the beauty behind a lot of these, you know, new fintech companies that are starting out is that they're really designing things with the client in mind. Now, one of the things exactly. I wanted to ask you about, oh, yeah, actually, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is also, you know, something that might be on a lot of our minds is, you know, that we understand that a lot of payment technology value is built on big data. You know, the more data that we have, the more information we're able to process, the more convenient that we can make and the more accessible we can make it, you know, to everybody as well. But, you know, there may still be concerns around, you know, customers' identity, privacy, you know, hacking, um, you know, people stealing their money whenever all of this information is out there. So what what are some of the measures that are being taken by fintech companies, especially Vipasso, uh, to kind of safeguard the customer's identity, privacy, and even? Well, actually, I, I really believe uh, uh, that, as you already mentioned, so um, to take measurements uh, to really safeguard the consumers, the customers, is one of the most important uh, tasks nowadays as a fintech, and not just as a fintech, I might say as a company, uh, overall, and as we see 
especially nowadays and with with all the the impacts we got with the pandemic and and how it even changed how we pay so meaning there is a lot more digital payments going on so we need we need all together to address especially um those fraud scenarios which are completely new to us and that brings me actually to how you can use big data or how we should use big data uh, in our daily measurements uh, to really um, have relevant and really modern fraud prevention, fraud detection solutions also said this. It means that we really as a, as a, as a company also ensure that we do all uh, what is possible uh, that there is on one hand no uh, privacy or especially identity loss or uh, cash loss either on the merchant side or on the consumer side because both might be uh, an integrated uh, you know uh, money transfer uh, way so it's really like um, to keep the data in a way um, that it is safeguarded but on the other hand use big data also to do a lot of analytical work. So I would tackle this basically also from the fraud side because I saw um, in, in some previous uh, roles I did that uh, how complex it could come on the fraud side, on the fraud detection, the fraud prevention side, and how much those data we get can really help us um, to ensure that there is no cash loss. And I just, yeah, I think during the, the first uh, lockdown of the pandemic, uh, there was an article from BBC uh, where BBC just put out uh, around, I think it was called the 10 scams to be worried of. Uh, so also the fraudsters, you know, they they adopt themselves. And, and that means also we have to adopt as a company and we have to adopt our solutions and, and, and using additional solutions and data uh, to ensure uh, that nothing is going to happen. Because if you if you think about especially the impact of COVID, you know, and uh, when there was this financial support uh, coming up from the governments globally, there was a lot of support scams. Uh, so on this side, you know, uh, there was scamming, uh, especially on the identity side. They wanted to steal your identity to get, of course, then your financial support from the government. And then you had even others like health uh, scams and, and lockdown scams and all this, you know, um, just with one in their mind and it was just to get your identity and at the end of the day, of course, uh, get cash out of it and uh, just said this. I think the most important thing uh, or the only thing we can do uh, and have to do is really to invest even as a startup, as a fintech like Vipazo, um, into having proper analytical solutions also on the um, fraud side said this, meaning, you know, this classical uh, AI and machine learning driven uh, solutions to really ensure there is no fraud coming up from the merchant side or consumer side or anyone who is contributing um, in this whole uh, transaction rails. Great. And that, that's a great point. And it's a very interesting perspective that you raised. You know, so a lot of times I think we look at big data as having, you know, our data is now out there for anybody that wants to take it and, you know, possibly have malicious intentions of it. But, you know, if we can actually use that data to, you know, create more sophisticated solutions to uh you know safeguard identity and privacy and even our money then then actually this data can be very helpful it's, it's not just 
there to make a risk, but it's there to actually help uh, you know companies like Vipasso really improve their their safety standards. Yeah, I fully agree with you. And uh, as you said, I mean, uh, especially uh, as we are uh, founded in in Austria, so European Union, we we anyway have to uh, be you know uh, aligned with with all those PST two. Uh, rules, the GDPR rules. So we we even don't store in in our solution data which is not relevant uh, for for our use cases. And and even the data we we use are all fully tokenized um, in 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 the whole uh, payment flow. However, and and that's I think the most crucial thing is as as you already summarized quite well is also there's still a lot of data and, and, and analytic data available and why not then use it uh, in a good way? Because on the other hand, the fraudsters, uh, how to say, they never sleep. So the fraudsters mm-hmm. is anyway uh, two steps ahead of us. So we should also keep in mind, okay, what to do to, to prevent fraud and what to do to prevent especially um, cash loss because fraud going to happen every day. And the most important thing is how we can uh prevent it and how we can detect it and how we can use the data we get uh, from such scenarios new fraud scenarios to get this back into um, fraud solutions and and let them learn out of it and i think one of the most important things and there is companies like uh ECAT, uh, which was acquired i think last year uh from mastercard and and, and even other uh really interesting uh companies uh which is having a lot of data globally uh which you can use to to you know analyze actually um on the behavior of your consumers to make better predictions to make better um fraud prevention sites and i think this is where it also have to go that we work all together in this because at the end of the day it's not that i have a better solution than you it's how we all together can prevent our customers from cash loss and i think uh, speaking as a private person, of course, I would like to have uh, the best solution uh, that I don't lose any money. So I might say, Steve, you, it's <laughs> the same for you. And we see it all in the same boat. And I think that's the that's this mindset of fintechs, you know, that we want to build something great together. And it's all about the together in a global scale and just making cool solutions to provide great payment experience. But on the other hand, ensure that there is no fraud or any identity loss or cash loss. And that, that's a great point that, you know, FinTech is not just a collection of a bunch of FinTech companies, but it really genuinely is an industry and it's really a community that, you know, are working together and using the information that's available to create something better for the customers. And whether that's the merchants, the banks, the consumers, the customers, need this sort of level of protection and it is great to hear that you know fintechs are actually working together to to use shared knowledge in order to create that that security for their customers and so something you touched on a little bit already was a digital currency um we we mentioned cbdc which is obviously uh, the central bank digital currency could you go ahead and describe that a little bit for for our audience what what is uh, the central bank digital currency well, um, as you already mentioned, and the, the CBDC stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. What does this mean is uh, that also uh, the central banks, so uh, like in, in, in Europe, it would be 
the European Central Bank, they also using uh, the blockchain technology to provide a digital currency, which is basically, most of the people might know, classical stable coins. Uh, however, this is then really a regulated stable coin uh, by the authority, uh, which is then really used in the same, you can say, matter as a, as a typical cryptocurrency. However, stabilized and, and really focused on the day-to-day -day, uh, money transfers or the classical day-to-day -day banking site. Uh, which I think is, is quite an interesting way. However, said this, uh, and I think this is always one of the most critical things when it comes to CBDC, when it comes to fintechs, when it comes to these typical crypto companies or cryptocurrencies, that people might think, yeah, when there comes CBDC, uh, everything will be completely um, under the regulation side, the, the central banks will regulate everything. They might go and then uh, say that no other currencies are anymore allowed. But how I see it basically, and as I said before, um, already um, in this uh, block I had in my, in my mind with, from Chris Skinner, it's, it's not about fintechs or it's not about CBDC versus crypto. It's just about what particular use case I want to do. And for the day-to-day -day, uh, classical uh, payments, um, crypto in the form of, of CBDC, and it's just a form, uh, the CBDC of cryptos, you know, uh, this might be our way to pay. So it will be the crypto side um, in the form of the central bank's digital currency, like in Nigeria, they have their e-Naira and so on. So this will be for the typical day-to-day -day payments. However, there will be a lot of other cryptocurrencies around. So some just for, you know, some, some investment um, ideas, some just for some particular uh, use cases. So I don't even see that CBDC might just, you know, uh, push away uh, other cryptocurrencies. It will come to stay, of course. Uh, however, for some particular use cases. And I think at the end of the day, and I mentioned it already, before it's just it's the key is choice the key will be what use case the consumer or the customer wants to do and for this use case he gonna use um exactly the 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 cryptocurrency uh, which fits best for him and that could be uh, a cbdc that could be uh, different other cryptocurrencies um, or any other relevant uh, blockchain uh, supported technology. So this is where I see, I think, where we need to um, keep some, some focus on. Um, and we all know, so there is a lot of countries nowadays uh, working on crypto concepts, working on these CBDC concepts. However, I really believe uh, that, uh, on the other hand, uh, Bitcoin or, or Ethereum or, or um, any other uh, bigger uh, cryptocurrency will stay for some particular use cases. Okay, so so I guess in a way, a central bank digital currency, would you say is a more stable form of crypto uh, as opposed to some of these other types of coins? Well said, so exactly. So I, how I see this is really, that's a, that's a really stable uh, currency, in this case, digital currency, uh, which is more or less uh, than for the day-to-day -day, uh, payments where we want to have a more stable or stabilized uh, cryptocurrency. 
That's amazing. I, I think that's really huge. And I understand that, you know, CBDC is not quite as popular of a term as cryptocurrency is or as Bitcoin is. But, you know, one of the one of the downfalls, I think, that are, are keeping people from recognizing crypto as uh, an actual currency, you know, an actual sort of token that they can use to purchase things throughout their day-to-day -day life is it's just not not as stable at the moment yet so for example if somebody needed to buy dinner for 100 dollars and they spend 100 dollars worth of bitcoin well in a month from now they might look back and say well actually i spent 100 dollars worth of bitcoin but now that 100 dollars is worth 500 dollars and i lost a lot more money by paying in bitcoin than if i'd have paid in a stable cash uh same thing could go the other way they might have a restaurant that accepts $100 in Bitcoin and then a month later now it's only worth half as much and so it's really tough to to manage your finances and manage your portfolio when you're paying in something that can fluctuate so often so really the the CBDC is something that it allows more people access to crypto and allows us to get into this crypto space whereas you know we don't have to worry about okay well if I pay it, let's say if I pay for this dinner with this crypto, is it going to be a huge loss or a huge profit? This is a lot more stable in that sort of aspect, right? Yeah, fully agree. So it was perfectly summarized by you, Stephen. Great, great. And so one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about, and I know that it goes back into uh, this financial inclusion. And I think that you know a lot of the things that you're talking about, as we've mentioned a few times already, it really is about you know having opportunities more inclusive towards you know people that may not have had these opportunities before. Um, and so while payment technologies is working towards financial inclusion. Um, how will payment technologies integrate and provide a seamless experience for the global citizen? And I think this is a little bit of a plug for uh, Vipasso because I believe that this is something you guys are working on, correct? Exactly. So, well, really good introduction to it, actually. Uh, and, and thanks for this question. So actually, how I see this, you know, there are various factors we have to consider to provide financial inclusion. And um, especially there is various markets which are not yet fully integrated to modern payment rates. Um, and as you already mentioned, how to provide a seamless experience for the global citizen, uh, we have to first focus uh, to provide actually integrated payment rails. Um, and also there is one of these key concepts nowadays, cross-border payments. Uh, which yet is not as established as I might say the typical card payments like MasterCard or Visa. However, as long as we don't have this cross-border payment scheme set up in a way um, that we can provide seamless experience over various different regions or countries, I really think that there is still um, a lot of gaps on the financial inclusion side. So, And one thing what we are preaching uh, as Vipaso is um, not directly the cross-border payments. However, what we do is we bridging the gap um, of supporting on the day-to-day -day, uh, purchasement on the on frequent mortar sites on the point of sale um, to give uh, merchants and consumers the opportunity to easily um, interact and to easily uh, pay uh, for the goods uh, and say this is this is one of the first steps. So it's really like. Uh, we have to equip everyone with proper solutions, with proper technology before we can even think about this seamless, seamless experience on the global side. 
because uh, there is a lot of things going on, as we all know, the digital identity um, and so on. And, and bringing this into the game, I think we jump back, as we already mentioned before, um, in one of the first questions around uh, the fintech side and, and what pillars we have um, is blockchain technology and especially uh, frictionless money transfers um, on the cross-border side, you know, um, their blockchain is going to play a really, really big and strong part, being it on the digital identity side, but being it also then on the CBDC side and on the money transfer side. And I think that's uh, where we are going to head. Um, and I think that will be uh, one of the, the key focus areas in the next, I might say, five to ten years um, to really roll out uh, those solutions. Yeah, that's great. And I think that one of the key words that you mentioned was seamless. You know, how do we make these all seamless? Um, as we mentioned a couple of times, you know, if it doesn't work for the customer, then it doesn't work. And and seamless, you know, ability to use these sort of opportunities is key in, in making this uh, this whole technology available to everybody. And so I kind of wanted to ask, you know, with the growth of you know, distributed ledger technologies, um, perhaps you can touch a little bit on what distributed ledger technologies is, but, you know, how can payment solutions providers enable this high-speed cross-border transactions in real time, um, I guess, across the globe when there are so many different steps and so many different things that need to be approved? Approved, uh, kind of on the back end. How is it that we can enable this in real time across borders? Well, so so actually, and I, and and the, as you mentioned, so uh, you know, uh, cross border payments and the speed on it uh, uh, leads us a lot of times, or most of the time, is leading into this way of of distributed uh, distributed ledger technology, blockchain technology. And so on. But honestly speaking, from my personal uh, view and also from my experience working in the payments industry uh, nowadays around 15 years and seeing different use cases, uh, we have to distinguish, I think, between various use cases and really the relevance of DLT and blockchain as the underlying technology. Because in case of real-time payments, it has to be really questioned, I think, if DLT is really the right technology especially when it comes to in-country payments, you know, uh, where we want to have real-time payments uh, being uh, established as our day-to-day -day payment rail. And I think when we look nowadays uh, in, in all those uh, overall performance uh, peaks of the um, uh, blockchain technology and how much energy it needs and uh, it's still not at, as fast as, as, as other technologies. And when we uh, check out like Visa Network, and if I remember well on the Visa Network, they have 65,000 TPS, so meaning they can do 65,000 transactions per second. So wow. we have technologies already, you know, in place for exactly those things. And I think sometimes uh, we, we need to consider ourselves um, or, or just make this step a bit back and think, is, is blockchain really the solution for everything? Is blockchain the solution for providing really high-speed cross-border transactions in real time? Or maybe there is another solution. Or we have to encapsulate, you know, some use cases for others. And for some use cases, uh, blockchain makes really a lot of sense, like the cross-border side per se. However, if it comes then to um, the other aspect of, of real-time payments, I believe that uh, we are not yet there with blockchain uh, to be able to really have um, 
especially on a higher amount of transaction uh, than the capability and capacity uh, to provide um, exactly um, such fast transactions uh, as it would be expected in the real-time side, like, you know, a transaction is done uh, and, and the settlement is done and everything from one to another account in different uh, countries is in six or seven seconds. So I believe we're heading in this area, however, it takes a bit longer uh, and we need to keep in mind what technology should be the right one. It's, it's very important that you ask that question, you know, is blockchain the right technology for everything? And I think that, you know, it's such such the buzz now. You know, there's so many people talking about it, so many people that are hyping up blockchain and crypto and NFTs and the metaverse and Web 3.0 that, you know, we really, you know, stop asking this question at some point. We stop asking, is this the best solution right now? I mean, it's definitely not to say that, you know, blockchain cannot be the solution moving forward at some point, but, you know, are we really at a point where we're replacing, you know, great technology that is still using AI, that is still using, you know, amazing algorithms that has been, you know, in the 200th iteration of something that we've been using. Is, is blockchain actually going to replace all this right away or is it something that, you know, maybe, you know, can still go through its growing pains and still go through its own development stages uh, before we actually, you know, just close our eyes and, you know, rush into this whole blockchain movement? Yeah, I fully agree and we need to keep in mind, I mean, uh, people is trusting those, uh, as I mentioned, those big networks. Uh, for their payments like MasterCard, Visa, uh, Dinos, or name them. So it's really like um, just uh, in, in this particular case, we, we have to consider that the consumer also uh, need to trust uh, what we as a fintech or what the banking industry is doing uh, before you can really adopt it on the mass market. Um, and I think it's a good way and move forward nowadays that there is a lot of uh, movements, a lot of innovation, um, in exactly these areas of cross-border transactions, which, uh, as I mentioned before, is one of the, the keys, I think, to global financial inclusion and, and to globalize um, everything together to make uh, payments easier and seamless um, in everything uh, um, area, basically. Absolutely. And, and uh, what really excites me is, you know, seeing the adaptation of, you know, of fintech and, and really what blockchain has done in my opinion is it's gotten people talking about money again it's gotten people talking about investing again realizing that uh you know you don't have to invest all of your money into being an entrepreneur and start a new business in order to make money anymore there, there's new solutions out there uh, that are available especially for the younger generations that have sort of been you know disappointed with the job market since graduating college um so you know, now that we're we're seeing so much more about fintech and about blockchain and NFTs and metaverse in the news, and it seems like every other day there's a new fintech innovation. Uh, what, in your opinion, what do you think is the role that the Middle East is playing in the investments of payment solutions? Uh, I guess within the Middle East and to the global market. Well, that's a really good question, and, and honestly, I, I I even had a, an experience in in one of my last roles. Uh, with one of, of really interesting innovations happening and coming out from um, uh, from the Middle East, actually, uh, when when you see like this Edirham initiative from the Ministry of Finance from um, UREA, so it's actually something quite interesting what is happening. Like uh, not just building a payment system, but 
uh, really also focus on various different use cases uh, to provide advanced integrated payment features to the citizen and bring the citizen actually into uh, the middle of this uh, or, or basically into the main role uh, where the solution is built around. And I think this is also shown um, that there is a lot of innovation happening, um, especially strongly uh, citizen and, and, and customer focused. And I mean, also from uh, from what I see and, and, and how um, how interesting also the regional locationing uh, of Middle East is um, as a door basically to, to Africa and also to Southeast Asia, I think uh, there is a lot of potential um, on, on various different uh, value propositions coming up, being it um, decentralized finance like DeFi, going back to blockchain in this case, um, but also financial inclusion, especially um, financial inclusion uh, in Africa and in Southeast Asia. And I think therefore um, Middle East will be definitely the fintech hub for those particular regions. Um, and again, um, I think financial inclusion will be the uh, key part um, in this way. And uh, yeah, I think quite interesting time uh, coming up for Middle East in these particular uh, fintech areas. I think you said it. I mean, Middle East being the fintech hub is really what I believe that the leaders at the UAE are, are, are striving for. And as we all know from the UAE, especially um, when our leaders have their heart set on something, it, it tends to go through. They, they, they've they really broken a lot of records. They've really done a lot of great things um, within the you know 40 something years that the UAE has been a country and we're very proud to be here we're very proud to um to be hosting the you know fintech surge event at the dubai world trade center and i, I thank you for your time matthias i mean i think that you've really touched on a lot of things that uh you know we really don't get to hear a lot of you know you're, you're questioning things that you know may just be hype you're questioning things that uh you know may be going forward and, and it's really exciting to see that you know it doesn't have to just be what you read in the headlines, but you're actually paying attention to how is this affecting the end user? How is this affecting customers, consumers, merchants, and banks alike? And it's really refreshing to hear some of your points of view. Stephen, thanks a lot for the opportunity and also thanks a lot for the audience. Uh, and yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for all the latest updates on fintech in the Middle East and join the conversation over on our social channels. We look forward to seeing you at Fintech Surge at the Buy World Trade Center from October 10th through October 13th. I'm Stephen Bess, and this has been the Fintech Surge podcast, creating a wealth of opportunities.